3, 13 through 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, today's text is found on page 1200 in your pew Bible, or you can slip out the doors and grab a blue Bible from the top shelf on the right and just keep that. We'd like you to have a Bible, and that's yours to keep. So if you're able, please stand, and we will read James 3, 13 through 18, standing because this is God's holy word we're reading. This is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So far the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Show us Christ and his grace this morning, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, whose work in us we'll consider in detail this morning, transform us by that grace into people who live out what Jesus taught us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Will the real so-and-so please stand up? Have you ever heard that before? Uh, I'd heard the phrase and I wondered where it came from. And uh, it reminds me of James's question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Will the real so-and-so please stand up? So with Google as my guide and also Rob Amsler, uh, he's almost better than Google. That's his superpower. He knows things and he'll text you back. Uh, I discovered that he, in fact, did know the answer to this question. I discovered that it comes from the 1950s TV game show, To Tell the Truth. Anyone see To Tell the Truth? It's been rebooted, I see lots of hands. It's been rebooted about every decade since. It ended most recently in 2022 uh, with host Anthony Anderson. I had never seen it before, so I watched an episode, and here's the premise. There's a central character in each episode. John Smith, let's say. And the announcer asks three contestants, what is your name, please? And all three of them say, John Smith. The real John Smith and two imposters. John Smith, John Smith, and John Smith. But there's only one John Smith. One episode I watched featured David Prowse. He was Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy. Not the voice, that's James Earl Jones, but he was the one swinging the lightsaber, okay? And all three contestants say, I'm David Prowse. After Prowse and the two imposters are interviewed by this panel of judges, the votes are cast for the real David Prowse, the real Darth Vader, and then the host asks, will the real Darth Vader please stand up? In James 3.13, James is asking us that important question. Will the real wise man please stand up? Think about that question. Will the real person living by heavenly wisdom please stand up? When you hear that question, do you want to stand up or do you feel like an imposter? On the one hand, uh, know this, you should be able to stand up. Every one of us should be able to stand up confidently, 
confidently in Christ, we ought to be able to say we're living in wisdom, able to truly say we have wisdom and understanding, uh, living out the wisdom that God gives, living out true religion, living out the righteousness of God. The gospel meets us where we fail, but it doesn't erase the call to live holy lives. We're to seek heavenly wisdom. That's the calling that we're given. On the other hand, if we're honest, uh, it's hard to look at ourselves and see much that qualifies, isn't it? We shouldn't arrogantly shoot our hands up at the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, Not if we're being honest. See, humble faith first looks to Jesus before it jumps up to say, me, I'm the wise man in the room. It looks to Jesus. It looks to God first, looking to the one who gives us wisdom and makes us wise followers of Jesus. And then in that confidence, it stands or we stand and say, humbly by faith, that's who I am. We can only stand up to that question ever. Uh, It will only characterize our lives when we've recognized the source of wisdom. And it doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come from within us or from around us. Uh, No, it's from above, from the father of lights, from the one who gives every good and perfect gift. So today I want us to dig into that and to think about uh, where this wisdom comes from. We're going to reach way back to the Old Testament because I believe James is bringing an ancient promise to bear at this point in his letter. Uh, it's, It's beautiful. It's magnificent and encouraging. It's a promise worth knowing and holding on to if we're going to be people marked by heavenly wisdom so that we can live this out as we follow Jesus. If I could capture the big idea of the sermon in one sentence, I'd put it this way. Uh, Because we're given wisdom by the spirit of new creation, we must live bearing witness to the Holy Spirit work making all things new. The Holy Spirit is bringing about new creation and we receive wisdom from him. Therefore, we must live uh, bearing witness to the Holy Spirit and his work of new creation in everything we do. So let's ask three questions about this passage to help lead us into what James is really getting at. Three questions. First, what does worldly wisdom look like? What does it look like? What does heavenly wisdom look like? And then finally, where does heavenly wisdom come from? First, what does worldly wisdom look like? Uh, We'll come back to verse 13, but look with me again at verses 14 to 16. Verses 14 to 16, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Let's start here where it's pretty bleak. Uh, Maybe you've been living here, uh, and you shouldn't be living here. You don't have to live here, but maybe this is where you're at, and you need to think about it. This is the problem that James calls Christians out on. This is where we go wrong. Maybe you're not a Christian, and this is just simply the way you live. And I hope to show you this morning that, friend, there is a better way to live. There is a better way to live, and it's possible to live in this better way because of Christ. So let's look at a few of these terms uh, for a moment. Four things to look at. First, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These heart-level attitudes Uh, that earthly wisdom produces. These words taken together paint a really bad picture of Christian community. Blomberg and Camel point out that uh, this image appears of people in angry competition, undermining one another, and each fighting for their own rights 
a far cry from the humility of wisdom. Welcome to church. We hate one another, and it's all about me. That's what that kind of a Christian community says to anyone who walks through the door. Sounds like a great time, doesn't it? This is what James calls us out on. We've said before, in the crucible of trials, when things are tough, when life is hard, uh, there's a tendency uh, to look out for your own interest. That's a big temptation. To defend the castle. What's in it for me? Uh, Looking out for number one. It's really the way of the world and its wisdom. It's not that there's nothing good, that there's no benevolence at all in the world. It's just that the defining characteristic of the way the world and its wisdom works is that it's self-focused. It's self-centered. And in a word, it's all about me. See, if that's what the church is about, and if that's what new creation is like, I think we should all be looking at Waze or Google Maps or whatever app you use to get places saying, where's the next exit? I want off this road. I can get that kind of self-centered community anywhere. There are better things to be doing on a Sunday morning, if that's what this is all about. Someone has said this idea of bitter jealousy, it has the predominant meaning in the New Testament of this negative sense of a desire to promote your own opinion from a selfish motive. So the way of the world and its wisdom, it centers on yourself. And it's not the kind of true wisdom that James is after. It's not the kind of true wisdom that Jesus is after, for that matter. Uh, So that's the first thing, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Second, let's think about what it means to boast and be false to the truth. Uh, We should remember here how James described uh, how you came to faith in James 1.17, where he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, new creation has dawned with the coming of the gospel. Uh, This word of truth, making all things new, starting with your own heart, and life. You are the beginning of the new creation if you believe in Jesus. This implanted word has changed you. It's the word which is able to save your souls. And James has argued that true saving faith will be vindicated or shown to be true uh, by your works and by your words. He continues that theme even in our passage. So if you're a person who's filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he says stop playing games. Stop pretending. Do not boast and be false to the truth. I think that's what James is getting at here. Uh, Friends, if you're someone who lives with selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, always trying to get ahead, thinking that that's what Christianity is all about, I wish you had been here last week. Last week, uh, we baptized a little baby in our congregation. And this baby received God's promise over her in the waters of baptism And God promised to be her God because he is a God to her family and to her. And I was there, and let me tell you, she did nothing uh, to get ahead in this scenario. She could not even crawl up to the stage to be baptized. She had to be carried. She had to be brought forward. There was no bitter, selfish self-interest. She just kind of cooed and lifted her hand the whole time, right? She couldn't walk up here. She couldn't do anything. You see, we believe that worldly wisdom is at odds with the gospel because worldly wisdom puffs you up. It makes you think that you have something to bring. And the gospel says you have to come like a little baby. You have to be carried into the kingdom. You have to come by humble faith. The gospel is pictured in baptism really beautifully in the case of an infant baptism because that's the good news of the gospel. It's not about you and you getting ahead. 
bitter jealousy and selfish ambition have nothing to do with the gospel. To think so is to be false to the truth. No, it's walking away from the world's wisdom and to the all-sufficient and saving truth of Christ. That's the alternative to this worldly wisdom. So, third, consider with me now the source of this kind of wisdom. Where does it come from? Where does this wisdom come from? This so-called wisdom that isn't really wisdom at all. It's unearthly, or it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Make no mistake, James doesn't preach legalism in his letter. We've, made, we've been made the first fruits of new creation by the word of truth, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. But he disallows the idea that you can kind of be on both sides. You can kind of be about the world and about heavenly wisdom. You can't draw refreshing water from the ocean. Remember, he's made that description. No figs on a grapevine. Like a song Sophie and Piper listened to, it goes, apples don't grow on pear trees. No apples there, it only grows pears. And then a kid comes in and says, suppose I glue an apple on a pear tree. He says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. There are no apples on a pear tree. There cannot be heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom defining your way of life. It's just not the way it is. You say you're all about the Lord and his ways, but you live a life that really resembles the world and its ways. James is after maturity and sincerity in your life. True wisdom produces good fruit, but false wisdom can't because its source is evil. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Remember, this is James 1. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Living in any other way than according uh, to the wisdom that we're given as a part of the new creation that's begun in our hearts, it's living by the other team's playbook. Earlier, James alluded to the tongue and ungodly, immature speech as being set on fire by hell. Worldly wisdom isn't just unfortunate, it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. There are two ways to live, and they're represented by two very different allegiances, two very different masters. To live wrapped up in yourself, according to the wisdom of the world, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Finally, in this first question we're asking about worldly wisdom, what's the outcome of this worldly wisdom and what it produces in us? What's the final outcome? If apples don't grow on pear trees, Uh, What grows out of worldly wisdom? Well, James says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. In just a moment, we're going to turn to the heavenly wisdom and what it produces in us. But the result of this worldly wisdom that we've been looking at, it should make us scratch our heads and just think, why in the world would anyone want to live like this? Why would I want to live this way? No peace disorder and every vile practice. That's the outcome of living in the dark. Sin and strife, worldly wisdom takes you down a road uh, that as Christians we should never want to go. A road totally at odds with our calling as Christians. About a week after the Russia-Ukraine war broke out, I was in Poland with a team doing some radio work, um, raising relief funds for refugees, and my radio producer was the driver all week, and more power to him. So many strange road signs and rules, and I was just happy to let him take the wheel. Uh, One night, we were driving in Krakow, it was dark, and he turns onto this, what we think is a cobblestone street. 
Uh, but it wasn't a road at all. It was the main city square, a 13th century medieval city square. You are most certainly not allowed to drive on a 13th century medieval square. And I see the lights in the rearview mirror, and a police car rolls up next to us, and we stop. Moises rolls down the window, and the officer asks, is everything okay? And Moises just starts stammering, trying to explain what he's doing in the middle of the city square in this car. And, and he finally just stopped mid-sentence, drops his head, and says, no, I'm not okay. Uh, that's where this should take us. We ought to stop mid-sentence and say, no, I'm not okay. Living according to worldly wisdom is not okay, and it's no way to live. There's a better way to live. There is a better way. We're going to turn to that now. So second question, if that's what worldly wisdom looks like, what does heavenly wisdom look like? Let's go back to verse 13, and we'll bring in verse 17 too. Look there with me, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is what living life the right way looks like. This is the good life. It's a beautiful picture. Seven traits here of heavenly wisdom. And seven, you may know, is often this picture of wholeness and perfection uh, in Scripture. I won't get into how poetic this really reads in James's original language, but he's waxing eloquent about heavenly wisdom. Uh, he's choosing words carefully with this symbolic number, poetic assonance, and literary artistry. It's a beautiful life that he's describing. We turn from this life of worldly wisdom and we seek beautiful living, uh, heavenly wisdom, this wholeness of life that's exemplified in these characteristics. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. Just think about that for a moment. It doesn't take much explanation to see how that would radically transform a community, does it? If we were all living in that way with one another, what would this place look like? What might it look like if we lived this beautiful life together? Uh, we could go down the list like we did with worldly wisdom, uh, but I think it would be far better to scrap the list this morning and just think about one word. One word. Let's look at Jesus through this one word. Did anyone ever exemplify wisdom, uh, this wholeness of life, better than did our Savior Jesus? Uh, I just want us to pull up close to Jesus through one word in the passage, and it's in verse 13. Uh, look there with me. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, that's the word, in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. It seems like American preachers, whenever they preach this passage, they have to stop and explain that uh, the obvious thing, that meekness is not weakness. Maybe because we live in a culture that values individualism, self-made people, this strength that is kind of at the core of our identity, and we think meek. Who wants to be meek? I don't want to be meek. And meekness is not weakness. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, if you want the world to be yours, uh, you don't get it by puffing up your chest. No, you, if you want the world to be yours, uh, that comes from the meekness of wisdom that we're talking about here. But what is this meekness? What is this meekness? It's really incredible. Having this meekness is having the heart of Jesus. It's having the heart of Jesus. It's the same word, praus. That's the Greek word, praus. It's the same word when we read in Scripture, the only description 
ever given in Scripture of Jesus' heart. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praus, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Greek lexicons, so I don't know if the pastor mentioned lexicons, it's okay. The Greek lexicons, the Greek dictionaries are rarely a source of great devotional material. Uh, but not so with this word. Here's what the go-to dictionary says prouse is. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Is it any wonder that Jesus comes alongside sinners like us? He is not overly impressed by a sense of his own self-importance. Is it any wonder that Jesus lets little children crawl all over him and parents clamor for him to bless them? Well, because he's not overly impressed by his own self-importance. Is it any wonder that Jesus touches lepers, heals the sick and the blind and the lame, or lets women living in physical pain and shame grasp the hem of his garment for healing? Well, he is not overly impressed by a sense of his own self-importance. Is it any wonder that he who was God and is God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead made himself of no reputation. And he suffered the shame and the pain and the naked horrors of the cross for you. Well, Jesus, he's not overly impressed by a sense of his own self-importance because Jesus is prous. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. Because when James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, the gentleness of wisdom. Jesus is no imposter. Jesus can stand up when that question is asked. Will the real wise man please stand up? There he stands. Jesus, the wisdom of God. In the words of Paul, really asking the same question James asks, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Who is wise and understanding among you? There stands Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So friends, after all that, I almost feel like I should just pray and we'll be done. That's Jesus. That's who he is. He is who he says he is, and he is God's wisdom for us when we tend to blow it and don't live in ways that are very wise. But we are called to live in ways that are wise. We're not left just to figure it out or decide, well, I guess I'm thankful for Jesus. No, we're, we're told where this wisdom comes from, and it's encouraging. So I want us to ask one more question about this wisdom we're reading about. Third and finally, ultimately an encouraging question, where does heavenly wisdom come from? Where is it from? This is where we go way back, all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, it takes us as far forward as the new creation where we'll live forever. 
but think about where this wisdom comes from. James has already said in the letter, we've mentioned it this morning, we are part of the new creation. We are the first fruits of his creatures. We are being made new. It's the Spirit's work. And I just want to bring that source of wisdom home to us now. James says, speaking to the final outcome of wise living, he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And James is drawing here on an ancient promise. Really, there are many places we could go tracing this wisdom to, but I'm just going to focus on one today. It's this place in Isaiah's prophecy that I think James has in mind as he writes these words. A harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. The context is judgment in Isaiah. God's people were full of worldly wisdom. They were following after other gods. They were filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and they weren't humbly seeking the Lord. And they were going to be sent into exile as a judgment. But then God would make some of them, a remnant from among them, return. And a king would come through that remnant to fulfill the promises of God. We read the following in Isaiah 32, 1 and 2, and then picking up in verse 15. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. There will be great times of hardship before all of that unfolds. And some of the times of blessing that Isaiah points to, they would be fulfilled by faithful kings in Israel. But it's pointing to something greater. It's pointing to the new creation because here's what we read in Isaiah 32, 15 and following. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. A harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen to it. Justice, righteousness, this wholeness of living will dwell in the wilderness. Righteousness will abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and quiet resting places. So, in answer to the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Or where does heavenly wisdom come from? Or let's make it more practical for a Monday morning. How in the world can I be gentle and lowly like Jesus, showing my good conduct uh, through works and the gentle meekness of wisdom uh, to my friends and families and coworkers and neighbors and brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom annoy me to no end, many of whom I would rather get ahead of, many of whom I would rather not show them the good conduct and the meekness of wisdom? Well, the answer, newsflash, I know, is you can't do it. You can't do it. But by the work of the Holy Spirit in you and through you, you can do it. And you can live a life of wisdom, a life that shows this gentle and lowly heart of Jesus to those around you that brings about this harvest of righteousness here in this place, in this community, where God has put you to love Him and to serve Him by showing your good conduct, not because it's something you can do, but it's the Spirit working through you as He brings the new creation into the present in your own heart and life. And people around you look and say, what is happening? That person is different. That group of people that meet at that place on Sunday morning is different. 
Something is happening there, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's changing us and transforming us. James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Luke 11.13, it's Jesus' way of saying virtually the same thing. He talks about the greater gifts that God gives, even greater than the gifts that earthly fathers give their children. And what does he say? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There are imposters who say they're wise, but they aren't. The truly wise person is the one who's humble by faith. Uh, words aren't enough. Uh, when you ask if someone is wise and understanding, it's not so much about what they know, it's about what their neighbors say about them. It's about what your neighbor sees in you and how you live that life of love and gentleness and lowliness like Christ to your neighbor. Wisdom from above is another way of saying the Spirit and what he works out in you for the glory of Christ. So, who is wise and understanding among you? Don't let the question make you fear and tremble because you don't see yourself measuring up. Ask for wisdom. Ask for the Holy Spirit to be at work in you and through you. That's what I want to be about. I hope it's what you want to be about. Let's pray together. Father, give us hearts like the heart of Jesus, not filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, but gentle, lowly hearts that demonstrate the work of the spirit of wisdom. We have found rest in Jesus and give us the wisdom to live out of that rest in such a way, in such wisdom as to produce by your spirit a harvest of righteousness. In this place, you've called us to serve you. May Heritage Presbyterian Church be a place where people say there's something different about that place because the Spirit's work of new creation is bringing about the peace of Jesus among us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.